All right, welcome to Talk with Christians. Uh, we have Ben Grady, Ethan Tate, John Moore, Marcus Elliott, myself, and uh, we're ha happy to have you here today. And uh, we, if you have a question, just feel free to type it in the chat and we'll answer it as quickly as we can. If we don't get to it today, we'll get to it another time in the future, or we'll email you as well, if we can get to you that way. So let's start today by doing a quick intro of everybody. So Ben, why don't you start it off? Cool. I'm Ben Grady. I'm from South Haven, Mississippi originally, but now I'm in Calgary, Alberta. My wife and um, I'm just doing, I'm um, a Christian, just spreading the gospel, trying to um, spread the gospel through whatever means possible and um, using the Warriors of the Cross Facebook group as a as a tool to uh, reach the lost and plant the seed. So that's what I've got going on right now. So. <laughs> Awesome. And you said like Warriors of the Cross, right? That's the Facebook group That's that right. you, you kind of admin. Excellent. Ethan, how about you? Tell us about yourself. My name is Ethan Tate. I'm from Tennessee. I live in Shady Valley. I work with the Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development here in Elizabethan, Tennessee as the Dean of Media. I'm also one of the instructors and I also preach for the Rogersville Church of Christ in Rogersville, Tennessee. So I've got a little bit of a full plate, but uh, I try to at least utilize technology the best way I can because I feel like we we underuse it in evangelism. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. Good. John, how about you? Well, uh, I live in Dripping Springs, Texas, and uh, part of the year and the other part of the year we live uh, in Denver, Colorado. Um, for a lot of years, we worked uh, as the minister I did here in Dripping Springs and before that in campus ministry at Texas State University. But Last three and a half years, my wife and I started a new work called Bible Passages. And essentially, involves three things. One is the training of, of preachers and others who want to be in ministry at Bear Valley Bible Institute in Denver. And then we uh, work also with uh, doing marriage seminars and gospel meetings. But then another huge part of our work has to do with the Bible and Passages documentary. So my wife and I do documentaries about places in the Bible lands, and they're produced by World Video Bible School. And that can be found on BibleAndPassages.org, or you can go to our site at BiblePassages.net. And so it's kind of a multifaceted work that we're involved in. And, and you probably go to Colorado in the summer, right? <laughs> well, I'm not very smart, actually. I, I'm there the first and the third quarter. So I start in August, and then we come back for a while, or we go to Israel, and then we're there in January through March. But we love the snow. You know, growing up in Texas, we just didn't see that. Yeah, there you go. It's a good, good about everything, right? Yeah. Marcus, how about you? My name is Marcus Elliott. I am the pulpit minister at the Valiant Church of Christ in Valiant, Oklahoma. I am originally from Florida and actually will be moving back to Florida in two months. And I have taken on a work there as the youth and family minister at the Niceville Church of Christ in Niceville, Florida. Uh, we have just had a baby five days ago. Yeah. So excited to evangelize and to better reach somebody for Christ. And that's that's what it's all about, being a child of God and trying to teach others about Jesus and help them get to heaven just like we're, our goal is. Yeah. And what better town to be in than Niceville, right? That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, is that is that northern? Where is that in Florida? What part of Florida? It is in the Panhandle, so it's about an hour from Pensacola. It's by the Air Force Base there, Eglin Air Force Base. Okay, cool. Awesome, so, man. Near Navarre, Destin area. Yes. And and you got a new baby. That's that's awesome. So yes. cool. 
Well, I, I am a uh, Titus Blair and, um, I right now I'm a, a missionary in New Zealand, be, helping a church here, Napier Church of Christ, just grow through evangelism. And I also do as much as I can for the kingdom. And then on the side, like Paul, um, I you know like he was doing, I, I kind of do technology work. So that's kind of what I do on the side. But um, I try and do everything I can to spread the good news, no matter where I am. But here we are in talk with Christians, and we're going to talk about today's topic: Jesus, the way truth and life and i made this with the road of jesus behind there i'm very impressed with this <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> no, uh, so this is this is the this is the uh the topic and so that comes from as we know um john 14 so i'm going to read it real quick and then we can talk about it and as i was looking at john i i thought uh you know i could read a little bit earlier so this the reason john said uh jesus says this is because thomas asked him something so in verse four, Jesus says in, in in John chapter 14, verse four, it says, you know where I'm going and you know the way. So this is what Jesus said. And, and Thomas said to him, our Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how, how can we know the way? This is what he said. This is when Jesus says, Thomas said to him that. And Jesus said in verse six, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to my father except by me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From henceforth, you know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, our Lord, show us the father and that is enough for us. And Jesus said to him in verse nine, all this time I have been with you and yet you do not know me, Philip. He who he sees me has seen the father. And how do you say, show us the father? And then it says, do you do not believe that I with my father and my father is with me? The words that I speak, I do not speak of myself. But my father who abides with me does these works. Believe that I am with my father and my father is with me. And if not, believe me because of the works. So the, the context of this verse is that Thomas was asking, what's the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So um, let's talk about this because this is a verse a lot of people use, I think. Uh, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. So what do you guys think? Um, let's start out with the three parts. So when he's talking about the way, uh, and you can raise your hand if you want to say something. What do you think Jesus means when he says he is the way? Go ahead, Marcus. Well, I, I think it's important for us to go back to verse number one, where it talks about not letting your heart be troubled. Uh, if you believe in God, believe also me and my father's house are many mansions or some translation says many rooms. If we're not so, I would not have told you, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. Um, I think it's very important to go back there because Jesus is the only way for us to get to this place that his father has prepared for us. And so in order for us to get to the place, we have to get to Jesus. And so how do we get to Jesus? Well, we need to be saved and seek salvation the way the scripture teaches us. And so, you know, he is the way he is the ticket. Um, I, I like to use the analogy uh he is a first-class savior for first-class people. We need a first-class ticket to heaven. And the only way to get there is Jesus Christ. Right on, man. I was thinking it'd be fun at Facebook. I was going to put this and I might do it. Hey, everybody, I got three extra tickets to heaven if everybody wants one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who else got? Who else has some thoughts on this one? Anybody else? Thanks, Marcus. You're welcome. Go ahead, John. Well, I, what Marcus said, I think, is so true. Thinking about the context, uh, the immediate context, and thinking about the larger context. So many times we we read these verses, and maybe our friends out there listening do this. We'll kind of just pick a verse here and there, 
and don't think about it in the larger context. And this theme that the writer has been developing and this important message about who really Jesus is and what he's all about. And if you go back to John 1, there's this emphasis upon the fact that no one has seen God at any time. Okay, And I think that people even today would like to see God. We'd like to know God. Who wouldn't want to know God, right? The creator of this universe and and uh, this powerful being that some people just find sort of nebulous and vague or whatever. We'd like to come to a better understanding of him. Even the Jews didn't really know him and they thought it was sort of strange that, you know, that someone could actually know God. And so John 1.18 clearly reveals that Jesus came to declare or to explain God to us. And so this whole movement through the gospel of John about Jesus going and making himself known and even going back to chapter 13, I'm going away and, and all this movement, you know, that's happening in the gospel uh, is really a means to show to us that Jesus is that way to know God. You want to be in relationship with God. You want to be uh, in fellowship with God. Then the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. And then as Marcus said, as we get to the immediate context of these disciples who are, who are probably a little bit afraid because Jesus has been talking about my time has come i've got to go away but now jesus said look i'm going away but don't let your heart be troubled here's how to come to me here's how to be in eternal fellowship with god exactly awesome yeah and and i think it's fine because in life this answers three questions why are we here like what are we supposed to be doing well that's the mm -hmm. way isn't it well how do i know what to do like how do i know that it's the right thing that's the truth and is it worth my, giving my life for? That's the life. So Jesus is like giving us three things, isn't he? So in this one, he's talking about I am the way. And he said, narrow is the way, difficult is the path that leads to life. And few there are that are on it or find it. I am the gates. You know, you come through. All these things are about this, this act. When you're on the way, do you have to follow someone? Like you can't just watch the way. You can't just look at the trail. You got to take the trail, right? What about you, Ethan? Got any thoughts? I was going to say the same way Jesus said in John 10, that he was the door. I mean, there's a oh, lot sorry, of people sorry. who are going to put in a lot of um, how can you get to heaven? And that's where you get individuals that might say, well, I've got Buddha. I've got Muhammad. Uh, I've got whoever you want to put in the blank there. But I mean, if it's anything less than or more than Jesus, you've got more than one way. And that's a problem. We've got to understand there's a singularity if we're going to make it to the father the Father in heaven. There's only one place and one mediator that Hebrews would talk about. We have one mediator between man and God, and that is Jesus Christ. So if we put anything else in that blank as to the way that we're going to make it to eternal life, we've we've got our priorities backwards. We got to fix that. Well, it says no one comes to the Father except through me. <laughs> That's pretty self-explanatory, right? Mm -hmm. You would think so. You would think so. <laughs> John, did you raise your hand? Go for yeah, it. No, I was just thinking I was glad Ethan made that point because sometimes I, I think we forget just how relevant uh, the gospel is in, in a book like John to world religions. And I think we're, we tend to maybe just see this through you know Western eyes and only thinking about it in terms of denominationalism. But if we'll just give the gospel a chance, it really has an appeal to a larger world out there who are looking for like the Taoist, this, this middle path or even Buddhism, you know, and, and to be the enlightened one. And, and the emphasis that the Buddhists gave upon knowledge and upon uh, truly being enlightened. But Jesus said, the, you know, at the beginning of the gospel of John, the light 
that people would like to have to be illuminated, to have this higher knowledge is going to be found in Jesus. So there's a real broad appeal here on so many levels to world religions, but also to remind us on a basic level as we fight denominationalism and sectarianism and the division in the world, that Jesus is the way, that he is the truth and the life to the Father. That's great. Awesome. Yeah, Marcus. And, and to go along with that, um, Jesus is on the way going to Hebrews 1 and verse 1. It says, God, who has, you know, at various times and various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets and has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heirs of all things through whom also he made the worlds. You know, Jesus is the only one he was appointed, you know. So uh, why would you follow someone who wasn't appointed by God himself? It, it wouldn't make any sense. And then, you you know, Jesus died for us. And not only did he die, he was buried and he rose again. So Buddha, uh, all these different people who create all these religions, they're still dead. You know, but our God, our follow, uh, our king, he's alive and well. And so and he's been appointed by his father and he is sitting on the right hand, the throne of God. So, you know, when we when we talk about, you know, in various times, various ways, you know, yeah, these different people came and came up with these different religions. But at the end of the day, uh, there are not many ways. There's only the way, which is the is singular for one way. Right. And, and I, I think it's profound here, guys. Because he, he, he didn't just tell us a way. He said you have to follow the way. Mm -hmm. he, 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 he's like, I'm not telling you a way. I'm showing you a way. Like how I live. But didn't he say follow me to his disciples? Mm -hmm. Didn't he say if you don't take up your cross daily and follow me, you're not worthy of me? So he actually modeled, if you read the Gospels, he's modeled the way. He's modeled how we're supposed to live. He's modeled how we're supposed to be in this world. And I think that's amazing. Like. That, that when he says you die and rise a new creature, you know the way because you have Jesus as our example. We know exactly how he lived. We know exactly what he preached and taught. And we know exactly how he died and rose again. So that's we're supposed to die, aren't we? <laughs> ben, why don't you talk about the, um, so we're talking about the way, which is kind of like establishing a path or, or, or you know, direction and, and where to go. So let's talk about the truth now. Because remember, didn't, didn't uh, when, when uh, Jesus was getting tried, he's like, what is truth, you know? All that stuff. So <laughs> what do you think that what Jesus says? I am the way, the truth. What Ben, talk about that one. Well, he is the truth. He is the word. So we go to the word to find what we need to do for eternal life and for living here on this planet for salvation. So we look to him. He looked to him the one way and the truth. And we know he's given us the truth. He says he's going to deliver that in the word to the spirit. So. The apostles have written that down for us, and we have it all right here in the Bible. So we go to God's word for guidance, for direction, for everything we do. He's given us all we need for life and godliness. So right here in this book, so we have everything we need. We look to him. We look to the one way to the, the head of the church as the leadership for the truth, the guiding, guiding, guidance for the church. You know, we're the body, so we make up that there's only one way. There's only one body. So, Right. Ethan, what do you think? Thank you, Benjamin. Ben? Well, if you go back to John 1, I mean, it, it basically tells you in verse 14 and 17 that God was going to send the truth, or at least the word was also the truth. He was going to reveal truth to men. That was going to be Jesus. Um, I like to think of it when um, we're a little bit younger in life and we feel like we've got to explore the world and find out what's actually real, or I get to be the whatever I experience, that's reality. 
But what Jesus is saying is now, now wait a minute. You've got to step back and evaluate life through a particular lens because there's going to be all kinds of people who are going to showcase all kinds of things to you. I think Acts 17, you're going to see all these statues, all these uh, lives that you can live. But there's only one good life and a truthful life. And if you want at least some advice on where you're supposed to go in life, God's word is going to be the place to go. Jesus is even going to say it in this text. If you want to go to heaven, there's only one absolute truth, objective truth that you have to follow, and it comes from the Bible. Awesome. Feels like we're being preached to everybody's saying such good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I think is funny, you guys, real quick, tell me with absolute uh, certainty, is butter good or bad for you? Good, good for you. We don't know, right? There, there's a lot of truths in this world that we don't we don't know, right? So people arguing about like coronavirus, you know, and they go, maybe this is true, maybe this is not true. I, I was I tell people there's only one true thing we know: Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's mm-hmm. it. Like Amen. if you preach that truth, you don't have to worry about butter. <laughs> That's a doctrinal matter. Because we'll be proved wrong. I can sit on here. Butter is good for you, hundred percent. Here's all the stats, and then like a year from now. I'll be totally wrong, you know. So, but if I say Jesus Christ died and rose again, I will never be wrong. And so that's cool. That's the truth. Uh, what about you guys? Anybody else have any uh, feedback on that one? Marcus. Oh, we got it. Then John. Okay. Well, you know, it comes to comes back to John 8, uh, 32, where it says, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You know, we, we live in a society where there's different people teaching different things. How can we know the truth? How can we know what we're following is right? And then we, you know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says to study to show yourself approved unto God and work need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We can know the truth. Now, you know, we have so many different people saying, well, I have the truth. You have different denominations teaching to have the truth. But then when you go to the word of God, does it really add up? That's what's being taught. So it's important for us to be like the Bereans in Acts 17.11, that we search the scriptures daily uh, making sure that the things that are being taught are what's actually in the book. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to salvation. There's only one truth to that. And so when people get the mentality to say, well, you know, we all preach about Jesus and the gospel, so we're all going in the right direction. That's not the case, because if you don't have the one truth, which is to come, which comes from the word of God, then you're not following the one way and the truth which comes from God's word. So we have to be very careful to make sure we're saved the way the Bible says and not what some man says, uh, and make sure that we're following the way that Jesus has set for us. Uh, the Bible talks about that God's word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We have to make sure that that's what's lighting us and not denominational doctrine. Right on. John, what do you think? Well, I, uh, man, great points. And I guess I was just thinking more about I don't know who's listening or who tunes in to your program, but maybe there's someone who's skeptical uh, about things that we're saying. You know, it's easy for anyone to say, well, you ought to study the Bible. And uh, I'm reminded of later on, as John continues his theme of light and life and truth, when he's before Pilate and Jesus said, I came to bear witness of the truth. But then Pilate, of course, asking, well, what is truth? And I think a lot of people are asking that today. And that's the very reason that we need to, help people to see that John or Matthew, Mark, Luke, or the Apostle Paul are really uh, testimonies. They are eyewitness testimonies, or at least they are witnesses to 
these things as they occurred in the past. So what we've got to do is read the entire, give someone the gospel of John and say, I want you to read through the entirety of this to see the case that John is laying out. How is he presenting Jesus? What is he trying to show? How is he through his own testimony of his seeing these things and then gathering the testimony of others 2000 years ago, making this as this solid case to say, look, I was there. We saw it. Here's what happened. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus was raised from the grave. And because he was raised from the grave, that makes him different than any other religious leader that has ever walked the face of the earth. So if if he, in fact, came forth from the grave, which no one else can do, then I should listen to him. Well, why should I believe that he came forth from the grave? Why should I believe he's the truth? And again, that speaks to the credibility, to the verity of the gospel accounts and to the Bible as a whole. So I would invite people to carefully you know, analyze the scripture and to see is this something uh, valid? Because there's so many people today who don't, who, who are just going to be kind of turned off by our quoting scripture here and there. I mean, I think we do that to people who certainly believe the Bible is the word of God, but we need to kind of maybe start over with some. And again, I don't know who our audience is exactly, but I, I would invite us to do that. It's everyone, man. Anybody can watch the video, right? Well, so, so what we're saying here, Guys, is there are many ways that people preach, right? There's different, there's lots of ways that people are preaching. There's lots of truths that people people are preaching. And so they might say, well, my truth is true. My way is true. So there's three components of this, uh, what Jesus is saying. Way, truth, and then we're going to get to this last one, life. Okay, and I'm thinking this is where everything unifies, right? This is where it all comes down to the road. Like, is this the right path? Is this the right truth? So what does he mean by the life. Ethan, take it away. <laughs> okay, well, in John 11, um, Jesus calls himself the resurrection. He also calls himself the life. Um, I feel like, I mean, honestly, if you fall in line with those first two, if you follow the way that Jesus walked and was here and cared for other people here on earth, the same way in which he taught, I must be about my father's business. If we keep those two components, I mean, we're going to live a blessed life here. Yeah, but in the life to come, it's going to be even more blessed, eternally blessed, because that's where we get our ticket punched and we're we're there. We get to go to heaven. Um, I feel like we, we overlook that. If we have the wrong way, the wrong truth, we still have eternal life. But that equation doesn't work. Or we can have one of the three, but not all three. And it's got to be inclusive of all three. It can't just be selective, as a lot of people like to do today. Right. And, and here's here's the cool part. Lots of people preach ways. Lots of people preach truth. But only one person in history is still alive today who has a life that is everlasting. So you see, that is what Jesus brings. He brings a life that's everlasting. So, so you can say, well, I got the truth and I got the, the way, but the life of the person you follow is ended. So it's amazing that Jesus said, you know, once you're on the way, what, because you'll know because I did it. Once you teach the truth, because I taught it, I am the word of God. Then you'll have the life because you will be in me and you will live. Like as in baptism, it says you die and rise a new creature, right? It's like that death and rising again. You, it, this is powerful, these three things. So. That's awesome, Ethan. How about uh, anybody else want to talk about the uh, life? What do you think? Ben, you look like you're ready. Acts <laughs> 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
So salvation obviously comes through Jesus, and we have to be in him, in the one body of the saved in order to be saved, which means we have to follow his authority to get there um, because we have a sin problem, you know, which he's the answer to, the perfect sacrifice for all men of sin and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So very important that we adhere to what he's given authority for to reach salvation, to reach our eternal destination. And not what some man says, because I mean, Paul makes very clear that we can't do it our own way. We can't come up with our own way to save ourselves. Um, we can't go back to the old law. We can't come up with our own path. That doesn't work. You have to do exactly what the Lord's commanded over in Matthew 28. And, you know, and then further exemplified through the apostles in Acts 2 and Acts, period. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of what I get. He offers us life, but we have to, we have to accept that gift by his uh what he's given us well you got to be on the path and you got to know the truth yeah. to have the life i mean he did it in order didn't he he could have said exactly. i am the truth the life and the way but he said i am the way follow it i am the truth be yeah. confident that when you're on that way you have the right way and i have the life which means when you follow that path and you get to the destination you will live and that, that exactly. that's that's what he demonstrated so awesome ben. and yeah what is salvation by the way when you when it says life, if someone's drowning and you save them, salvation, you give them what? Life. Like the, they get life. Mm -hmm. But if you don't save them, they have death, right? Awesome. Exactly. Yes, John. Yeah, well, Titus, I, I feel sorry for you having to referee all these preachers. But anyway, you're doing a great job. But, but I, That's awesome. But I, I do think, and I guess maybe it's, it's – um, it's fresh on my mind because my dad is on, on hospice care right now. And, you know, he's, he's nearing the end of his life. And, and I, I think a lot about people when they're facing death and we've got the question, is, is there anything beyond this life? You know, is there a resurrection? And remember earlier in, in the book of John, as Jesus and John has unveiled and slowly uh, revealing to us the message of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, and answering the, the basic questions of life, you know, about how do I get close to the creator? How do I know God? The question of, well, what's going to happen to me after I die? And Jesus said earlier in John 5, you know, that that the, his word can bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life. But then he says that all that are in the grave will hear his voice. They shall come forth. They that have done good in the resurrection of life and they that have done evil in the resurrection of damnation. So there is this emphasis. Let me just add one other thing. And I'm sorry to go back just, just a second here, but, but you know, we look a little closer at John 14, 6, and that in Greek, that ego me that's used several times in Scripture. We can say something by our voice and really emphasize that I am the way. Well, how do you do it in a written language? Because the pronoun ego is I, and then ami is that to be verb I am. So what the Greek writers would do, what the Holy Spirit would do here, would couple those together to really emphasize something that would come across to us in written form. So as some of you had said earlier, this exclusivity, this singularity that's being emphasized here, that Jesus is the way and the only way, is expressed in that Greek expression saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, uh, well, okay, if someone makes that kind of claim, well, what does he do? What's he like? Should I follow him? That's what's so powerful about the Gospel of John and these other Gospel accounts is that it really compels us and draws us in to want to follow him when we see the miracles, when we see the teaching, when we see the compassion, the love, and the goodness that is revealed in these Gospel accounts. Well, and yeah, and he says it later, by the way. He's like, uh, and there, 
It says uh, another saying, he is the Christ. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, wrong one. When he was talking in John 14, if you look later on, he says, believe for the miracles, right? Believe that I am with my father. But he says, if you believe this, at least my works, you know, believe something I've done. And at the end, he says, I am the life because he rose again. You know, yeah. th that's yeah, why, why, do follow him? why do any of us follow him? Why were we compelled to even believe this man? I mean, that's compelling stuff there, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he's still alive today. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say that about too many uh, prophets and uh, actually none, pretty much. Uh, any well, how many did others did the calendar change for? You know, yeah. Yeah, I was just saying with the calendar change, like that's a massive thing. Like, you know, why did they do that? That's right. And all the BC and AD and all that. <laughs> uh, excellent. Does anybody have any more to share about this verse real quick? Yes, Marcus. And then we'll move to the next question. All right. So I kind of take a little bit different perspective concerning this. The life, you know, there's one way. There's one truth. There's only one life. We as just humans, we only have one life to live, and we have to make sure that we take this life seriously. The Bible talks about that this life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, then it vanishes away. So we have to make sure that we're living our life according to the word of God so that we can have an eternal uh, happiness in Christ. Uh, I noticed Benjamin commented about hope. What is our life without Jesus? What is our life without being saved and being in Christ? It's nothing. It's meaningless. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Here's the conclusion to the whole matter. Fear God, respect God, keep his commandments, for this is the all of man. Everything, our all, our every being should be, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live for him. I'm trying my best to do what I can to go to heaven. And see, if we take this life and live through this life and think it's games and funny and it's not serious and we're, we know we there's nothing out this life, so I'm just going to party it up. Well, I'm going to tell whoever's listening that's not the case, my friend. There is eternal life after we die, and you have to choose which way you want to go. You want to go to heaven? You want to go to hell? That determines in this life right now. The Bible says, if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot come. So the point about this is, when we have this one life, make sure that we're in the truth. Make sure that we are following the way so that when this life is over, we can have an assurance, a hope that we are dying in Christ Jesus. That's good, man. That's good. Yeah, because because that people are looking for life, aren't they? Yes, yeah. Ethan, go for it. I want to make a comment on that with the uh, people who are like, man, you need to live up life. You need to live the good life. The world has the complete opposite understanding of what the good life actually is. It's not about partying. It's not about drinking. It's not about the drugs or the relationships or the riches of the world. It's about the riches in Christ. If you have anything less than that, it's not a good life. So that was a good that was a good point Marcus made. Doesn't our creator know right, what's and, best and, for us? You know it. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. And, and the riches we here's the thing: we don't lose riches, right? Jesus said to the rich young rich ruler, he said, "Look, come follow me. Sell all you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And what? You will have riches in heaven." See, people always think that Christians sacrifice by by not pursuing the riches of this world and all this stuff. You're losing out. But what they don't see is that you're gaining infinite, eternal riches. And that's the part of the message that's missing, isn't it? Like they go, well, hey, you don't get to party. You don't get to this stuff. Yeah, but I get eternal riches. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah man. Think about John when he said earlier that when Jesus said this in John, you know, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Yeah. 
That's it. Yeah, because it's not just heaven we're talking about, right? It's here. Yeah. On this yeah. earth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Christians are supposed to be full of joy. Rejoice always, right? And again, I say rejoice. Like if we're not doing this, we don't understand that we have a life that's rich, right? So that's awesome. Uh, let me see. Uh, make sure there's no more questions. Okay. Let's go to the next slide. This is this is too good. I mean, Ben and I have talked before. I could go forever on all this great stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna go into someone's question because that's what we do. Uh, we talk with Christians and also about the people's questions. So this is a guy who I've been talking with, and he was he's been on talk with Christians before. And he was asking about baptism because no one could baptize him and other things. So we, we addressed that issue and helped him out. Now he feels, he says this, yesterday I prayed and all of a sudden it comes to my mind that I'm thinking to write a personal Christian letter and put it into their mailbox, like to the neighbor of the neighbors, which is awesome. And, it, and give it to the unsaved people and other Christians in the city to encourage their belief. So um, what I want to ask is a unique thing because um, he, he gave me his letter and I'm looking it over. And I just said, you know, I, I asked him, I said, can I ask this in the group? He said, sure. What would each of you do? So this is each of you, if you're going to write a letter, uh, tell me about that letter. Okay. So what would you write in the letter if you were sending it out in your community? And we'll start with Ben and then Ethan, John, and finally Marcus, and maybe me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's a good question. I, I think that start off by telling them, you know, the whole reason we are following this and, and you know, talk about Jesus and that the creator of the world and all the things that we can kind of sum up and say, yes, this is why I follow this, you know, this way of life is because our creator has given this to us and he's come, he's done all this for us to answer this sin problem because sin came into the world. So he's given us this thing, this answer, and we are his creation. So what other, you know, process do we need to go to other than to follow him? So we look to that and go, yeah, this is God's word. He died for us. Tell them the gospel. Tell them what's going to save their soul, and tell them about happiness that's found in Christ. You know, in in uh, living for Christ, and then obviously in eternity, um, following this life. You know, and, and that gives them obviously the hope and um, the promise and the understanding that they would give them reason to want to pursue this lifestyle and, and this uh, commitment. Wait, so Ben, are you saying you'll tell them the way, the truth? And the life. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. oh, by, by the way, I think we should all do this, by the way, as, a, as an exercise. After we finish talking with Christians, each of you guys, if you could do it for me, write up a letter that you would send out to your community, to your neighbors, whatever. I would encourage you to actually do it, you know, all the houses in your neighborhood, everywhere around. But write it up, and then I can put it in with the YouTube video and on the, on the page and just say, this is what I would write. Because that can, you know, a lot of times people just need that model. They need that encouragement. And then I want you to do it, which I will as well. Um, do it, and then we can have experiences and stories from that. Uh, thanks, Ben. That's awesome. So you'll put yours together if that's cool. And then Ethan, you're sure. up, man. Well, uh, I would first off have to evaluate the area, but I know first and foremost. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it it almost be like the same way the people in John were influenced by Jesus. I mean, we would have to give our personal take. What is it that draws us to Jesus? What is it that actually gives us that kind of appeal? Because though the Bible speaks to every single kind of heart, we're still going to be met, regardless of what we put in our letter, we're still going to be met with that the same opposition that Christ had. So there's going to be right. some people who aren't going to believe. Um, but I guess in general, there I know there's a lot of religious people um, where we are in Rogersville. So I believe I'd, I'd honestly start with that. Uh, there's a sense of devotion 
in the area. And there, there's a sense of, of fear to a certain degree because of the COVID-19 thing. But it's almost like what house to house, heart to heart is doing with um, either the issue that came out this month or next month where they're talking about where is hope? How do we find hope, especially when we're afraid? And I guess in the letter, it would be trying to provoke thought uh, to individuals to get them really thinking about where are they in their current circumstance? I mean, if something really was to happen, I'm not saying use it as a scare tactic, but if something really was to happen, what would you do? Where, where would you be um, if something were to happen? So I guess try to use, I don't know, have to be tactful, but try to be strategic in the way of expressing the way, the truth, and the life, um, expressing the hope that we do have in Jesus, but try to at least begin the letter with their current situation and get them thinking beyond that. Right, because that's what they do in, the, in a lot of the um, the letters, right? Paul was addressing it. Well, he was writing to Christians, obviously, but we don't have a letter written to non-Christians, but he was addressing things that they were struggling with, right, in each different area, Ephesus or Galatia. So that's good, Ethan. Thanks. And then you'll, can you write yours for me too? That'd be cool. Yeah. Whatever you want. Okay. All right, John, you're up. Yeah, I, I think Ethan's point is great about, you know, really considering our audience and thinking about who we're addressing. And um, I, I do know, as I think about some passages and thinking about some examples in scripture of, of how people appeal to others or what they did, I think about Romans 1, 16. We all know that passage, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We're to preach the gospel because it's God's power and salvation. But so many times we forget about verse 17. Why is it that the gospel is so powerful? Well, verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith unto faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Well, the gospel by necessity involves our revealing the righteousness of God. That's exactly what, what Paul argued in Acts 24, 24, when he was before Felix, remember, he spoke about his faith in Christ Jesus. And then he reasoned with him of righteousness, of self-control and the judgment to come. So I think I, I want to, you know, maybe appeal to someone, getting them to start thinking about why am I here? That question was came up. Tyler, you asked that earlier, you know, what's life about and so forth. But I, I've got to talk to people about God and the nature of God in the day and age that we live in. We can't assume that people know God. Sometimes they have a view of God that is like he's this angry God, you know, this Jonathan Edwards, the sinners in the hands of an angry God. Or sometimes they think that God is like the pantheist, see God in all of nature and so forth. And so I, I really believe we've got to start with a declaration about who God is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, what does the creation tell us about God? Other than just refuting evolution, what does Genesis 1 and 2 reveal to us about the nature of and the power and the glory of God. And that's getting back to John then. What is John trying to do to a non-Christian world? He's writing to the church here, but he's also writing to a larger world who needs to know God. And so how does he get them to know God? Through the person of Jesus. And so I want to just make two other points about this, is that sometimes we maybe jump right to, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well, believe what? Well, you just got to believe Jesus. But verse 15 of Mark 16 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. What do we say the gospel entails? The righteousness of God. What is the gospel? Go back to Mark chapter one. In the beginning, you know, this was the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. So people have to know the love of God. They have to know the goodness of God, the mercy of God. They have to see what God did at Calvary if we're ever going to lead them to the watery grave of baptism, if we're ever going to get them to, to give their life completely to Jesus, they have to see 
the power, the glory, the greatness, and the majesty of God. So that's what I, I think I'd want them to get to know my God. And that what going back to John 8, 30, I mean, we were looking at John 14, 7. We never really got there on that verse, but you said something about if they had known me. Isn't that exciting to think that people can know God? And if they can know God or know Jesus, then they can know God. Man, that's that's tremendous. So I think we start there and then work through a lot of that. All right. Well, you write that down. <laughs> Get that letter ready. <laughs> it's awesome. Marcus, you're up, man. Well, you know, considering this question about uh, writing a letter to the unsaved, I, I just, it's something that's actually a great thought to think about writing to the unsaved uh, uh, from the pers uh, perspective of being a child of God, a Christian. And one of the things that I would write in there is, you know, it doesn't matter where you are right now. Because sometimes people say, well, I've lived so bad. God truly cannot forgive me. You know, God won't accept me because I've done this, this, or this. And that's not the God that we serve. Our God is a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God who forgives. The Bible talks about his forgiveness as far as east is from the west. And, you know, I just would express to them, it's important for you to look at your life. What is your life as it was uh, talked about? Where are you right now in your life? Consider what your life is, what the purpose of your life is. And if your purpose is not to live for Christ, maybe you need to consider the following things, uh, such as how important is Jesus to you? You know, what did Jesus do for us? He gave his life for us. You know, we look at uh, when he was on uh, Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying and the Bible talks about he was he had sweat, drop sweat that was like blood. He, he was in anguish. He was in agony for us. Even on the cross, they they you know, he was dehydrated. He went through so much suffering and pain. And, you know, we can never imagine or know all the pain that Jesus really went through. He could feel every bit of it. Uh, we know he could have called legions of uh, legion angels and to take them off, but he died for us and everybody so that they can be saved. And so I really think that we should let people know we God loves us so much that he gave his son. John 3, 16, he gave his son for you. Will you take the initiative to follow him? That's all he asks you. Follow him and do the best that you can. You know, and I would put in there that I'm really concerned for your soul. I love you. I'm concerned about you. And this letter is written to you so that for, for your for the benefit for your life and for your salvation so that you can be where I'm at or where I'm going, you know. So, you know, that's that's my goal for everybody is being a gospel preacher is to not be in the pulpit, but to go out in the community and reach as many people as I can, because it heaven heaven is a treat and hell is, you know, Hell is no trick. It's real, you know, and we need to try to reach people even through a letter. Talk about the goodness. And I like this to uh, talking about your personal story. Why are you following Jesus? How did you what do you, you know? What kind of person were you like? See me? I was I was three days old uh, in foster care. And somehow, some way, God blessed me to be in a Christian household and to be raised in the faith. You know, I could have been in a bad situation, but because of of God, his mercy and his grace, he blessed me to come out of a bad situation, what could have been a bad situation. And, you know, now I'm in the family of God and it doesn't matter where you come from. It just matters where you're going. Look at Paul. 
he was Saul. He was a persecutor of the church. He thought that he was doing right. You know, there's many people who think they're doing the right thing, but it is our responsibility to help guide them in a loving way to the truth. You got to write it down, man. Write it down. Yeah, that letter that letter. yeah this, this is good because G what did Jesus say? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And that's what you were talking about, Marcus, is this love. Uh, it says greater love has no man than he lays down his life for a friend. Yeah, he laid down his life for an enemy. Uh, someone who is against him. John, did you raise your hand real quick? Uh, I'm sorry, I know I'm talking too much, but I what Marcus said is, is really very true. And I think that, I don't know why we've been told, you know, you shouldn't testify. Well, I, I get we can't testify in the sense that like the apostles did. But in John 5, when Jesus cast out those demons out of the demonic, what did he tell yeah. them to do? Yep. You go home and tell your friends what great thing the Lord has done for you. Yes. And I think it's a good way to start a conversation. Man, Marcus, that, that encourages me to hear what you're saying about, look at where I was. What, you know, we're not bragging about that, but in the sense right. of what God did for me, people need to know that. Well, and he said, I like it. He said, I, I'm going to add this in. He said, we got to get out of the pulpit. And I would say, we got to get into the bullpen. You know, the bullpen <laughs> is where the, where the bull is. You got to wrestle that bull. You got to fight that bull. Out of the pulpit, into the bullpen. Uh, because like we, I preached about the, the armor of God this weekend. And if we, you know what? Armor is useless if you're not in a battle. It actually weighs you down and it's kind of a pain. Yeah. But when you're in a battle, you better have your armor, right? That's what we got to say. Try to build endurance, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in the battle, you're getting beat up and that armor matters. But if you're not in the battle, who cares about the armor? So get out of the mm -hmm. pulpit, into the bullpen, obviously. But uh, I'm going to talk about my letter real quick. Uh, I like to use Jesus as my example. So what did Jesus do? Well, he came here. We got to talk about Jesus. We got to talk about, you know, hey, did you know God's son came here? You might not know this. You know, let me tell you a little bit about him. And then I'm going to talk about what he did. I'm going to say this is what he did. And he did it for you, like it for me. And then I'm going to talk about, I'm going to say, do you have a need? Do you have things you have a need? Because see, Jesus' example, his way was to come tell the good news about his father. His father loves us. He says he wants to be right, but he sent his son to be an example to show us, hey, grab Jesus' hand and follow him. You know, like he's going to walk us. He's gonna, he said, I'm not just going to tell you what to do. I'm going to show you what to do. I'm going to do it through a sacrifice. And so Jesus showed us the way, but in his life, he said, what? I came for the sick. I'm coming for you. We're all sick. And so he, he came and he healed people and he, he was there for their needs. So in my letter, I would say, I'll write, definitely write about Jesus and God's love and that he showed it through his son and sacrifice. And I would say, and I want to I want to give you all that I can. I want to I want to help you in any way that I can. And say, here's my number, you know, contact me. And I love you um, because Jesus loved me and Jesus loved me because God loves us. And so that little that little that little line right there connects us straight to God. You know, oh, I don't believe in Jesus. OK, well, I'm going to give you whatever you need. I'm going to help you as Titus. Well, I, why are you doing that? Because Jesus is real. But I don't believe in Jesus. But Jesus is extending his love to you right now. Well, but Jesus is not what about? And he said, well, but Jesus did it because God showed and said, Jesus, I want you to do this for me because I love these people so much. I want you to go die for them and make them make them right with me and show them the way. So you see, I love it when you can help people with this letter. You can say, look, this letter, you got this letter today because God sent this letter to you. That's powerful. They can say, well, Tyus, you're delusional. Yeah, but I said it. You have to either think Titus is crazy, maybe this is true, right? And so you and then you got to reach out and you got to say, how will I engage you? I need I can help you. 
I can be God's hands and feet and, and, and his everything that I can be for you to help you. Because a lot of people have a message to bring, but they don't have a way and they don't have the truth and they don't have the life. And we got it. So that would be my, my, my letter. And I'm going to write it up. And uh, OK, go ahead, Ethan. Sorry. I would say go beyond just the regular letter. If you recall what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3, you are our epistle written in our hearts, read and known of all men. If you're going to send a letter out to the community, make sure your life reflects that letter, because if it doesn't, you're just sending out trash. And we don't well, need to be doing that. If, very, if we say we're living after Jesus, we need to live like it. One thing I found, Ethan, is no one sends these letters out who aren't living the right way. <laughs> Even the people living the right way aren't sending these letters out. So we've got nothing to worry about. There's no competition. I'll tell you what, when you, deli- when you deliver that envelope, there's not going to be like 15 other envelopes from people. And if there is, that's praise God. But you're not going to see it's going to be far and few between. Like Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. You can see the harvest. You can see the fruit on the tree. But where are the people who are going to harvest? You know, where? where? So I, I didn't know we were going to write this letter at the moment, but I think it's awesome. And I love it because anybody from this point forward, hundreds of years, whatever, 10 years, five years, if you're watching this show I want, and you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus and you have repented, you believe, you've repented, you've confessed him saying he is the son of God. You've been baptized and you're walking in the light as he is in the light and you're living that life. Write this letter because you're the only light in the darkness like us. There's only there's what? One, two, three, four, five of us. If five of us write 20 letters, that's 100 people. That will get it. And this person here who's writing a letter, I don't know how many people he's going to write. So this is awesome. Let's go. I don't know if we'll make it to the next question, maybe real sh- briefly. Um, so our, our homework assignment, which you probably didn't know you're going to get, and I didn't either, is to write these letters. Now, if you feel not right in your heart or you're not right with God, if you're watching this, do not write the letter. Only write this letter if you feel that you're walking with God and that you're abiding by Jesus' command, which was make disciples of all nations. You feel com- convicted. You're like, I'm a Christian. I haven't been doing that. Write this letter. If you're not a Christian, talk to us so that we can get you excited and inspired. So you start writing letters. Um, okay, so here's the next question. Uh, and this was a short one, but I see this a lot on Facebook. A lot of people say Paul isn't a real apostle, and they say you're supposed to abide by all the feasts and all the Old Testament laws and all this stuff. And this is something Paul addressed Paul addressed himself. Uh, but um so the person asked me this, so I'd like to address it because we like to answer your questions when you ask. Uh, do Christians follow Old Testament commandments, which are given to Israel, please? So this is the question. Um, you can raise your hand if you want to address it. I think this doesn't have to be everybody, but whoever wants to address it, please, uh, please feel free. Marcus. Uh, I, I think it's very important to go to context. Um, in Exodus 19, and uh, verse three through six, we see who the old, let's just, you know, go beyond just the commandments, but the old covenant in general, you know, uh, who was it written to, you know, uh, in Exodus 19, three through six, the Bible says, Moses went up unto God and Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, thus uh, shall thy say to the house of Israel, uh, house of Jacob, excuse me, and tell the children of Israel. Uh, so, the, the old covenant was written to the children of Israel, not to Christians. And so we have to make sure that uh, we realize that um, going through Hebrews, um, it's an excellent, excellent study where it talks about how uh, we are in a better covenant. Uh, you couldn't, we, 
Gentiles could not be saved under the old covenant, the old the old uh, testament. And so, uh, when people are trying to follow uh, the old covenant, the first thing you realize in Hebrews is it tells us that if you're trying to follow the old covenant, you really do not have any hope at all. You don't. Uh, let's see here. I got another scripture here that. Uh, Romans 15, 14, uh, excuse me, Romans 15, 4. A lot of us know that one really well. Uh, Paul wrote, for whatsoever things were written before time, written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the scriptures uh, might have hope. So we know that those things were written before time. It was written for our learning. But there's a difference between learning and following, uh, being uh, a part of uh, our, our our laws, or uh, I'm trying to say it in a certain way. We're looking at Colossians 2, 14, where it says, Blotting out the handwritten ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Why would you follow something that was against you? Uh, it was contrary to us. Uh, why would we follow something that wasn't for us in the first place? It was never intended for Gentiles. It wasn't intended. Oh, it was only intended for Israel. And to say this, I want to say this as well. Uh, for people who say that, uh, well, if the old covenant was written for the Israelites, well, can the Jews still follow that? Well, no, because when the testator died and testament means will, and, you know, if we write a will uh, and, you know, you got mad at your son, he said, you know what, I'm going to write a new will and write him out. You can't take that new will anymore and follow that and think that is in existence. It, it just right. doesn't work. And so uh, when the new covenant came, when Christ died, buried, rose again on the third day, that old will, as soon as he died, that old will was made obsolete and the new will uh, came into uh, effect. And we see in Hebrews 10 and verse 4 and 11, it says, for it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. And so we see here that there was really absolutely no forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament. That's why Christ came and his blood flowed backwards and forwards. And uh, so, you know, uh, and then well, you see Hebrews 8. There's so many different, I'm sorry. I can no, go that, on. That's, why, that's why the Pharisees were so, and the Sadducees were so, um, wanted to kill him. Because when he, when the paralytic came right. down, he said, I'll forgive you of your sins. And they said, "How? that's blasphemy. Only God can do that. And he said, okay, is it easier for me to forgive sins or to rise somebody who's paralyzed? So yeah. Jesus came uh, with that power to forgive sins. Awesome. Marcus, good stuff, man. How about anybody else? Anybody else got something to share? This is a big deal, well, by the way. This is a big, yeah. a lot of people argue about this in the Christian circles. And I think obviously there's a lot more non-Christians we can go after uh, and help. But uh, yeah, this is still something people struggle with. John. Yeah, of course it is an extensive subject, but a very important one. And I, and I think a, a basic one, if we just stop and think about what we're looking at in terms of the totality of scripture. You open up your Bible, there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. Understanding what a testament is, it's a covenant. God is a covenant maker. He made a covenant not just with the people of Israel, but he made a covenant with Abraham that was renewed later on in his descendants and then was renewed in David. And what did that covenant say and what did that covenant promise? Not that it would be permanent. So like, for example, in Jeremiah 31, when the people of God were being threatened by captivity and ultimately went into captivity, he wanted to remind them that, yes, they're going to come out of that captivity, but they're not going to exist in that state as a Jewish nation for much longer. There was coming a new covenant. God had a time in which he was looking forward as in his redemptive scheme uh, 
that he was carefully laying out over time as a means of getting us ready for the Christian age to then establish this new covenant when Jesus came. He is the mediator of a better covenant. And so Hebrews 8.13, as the Hebrew writers carefully lays out in several chapters, they're really the entirety of the book in many ways, but especially chapters 8, 9, and 10, where he reminds us that the law, that is the old covenant, was a shadow. It was not the very image. It was not the thing that we were going to live under permanently, that is that old law. And so when Hebrews 8.13, he argues that when he made this new covenant, new, he made the other one old, and it was vanishing away and ready to decay. So look at the totality of Scripture, God's original plan, and to see that those things, the, the, the priestly uh, garb that they wore, the sacrifices in the temple, those are all sort of foreshadowing. They were types of what God ultimately was getting ready for us. And I'll leave you with this last illustration. Can you imagine if one day that, you know, 400 years ago, God had just dropped out of the, you know, out of the sky a cell phone? No one would have known what to do with it. You know, what, what, what do I do with this? Is it a mirror, you know? Is it a hammer? Or what, what is it? Well, no, technology, little by little, came along. We came to understand electricity and all of that. Then this made a whole lot more sense to us. Can you imagine Jesus is coming in the first week or two of creation or whatever and, and starting the plan there and having the covenant? We wouldn't have a basis or a background for better appreciating the new. So we got to remember God's plan over time and that his plan was is that covenant given to Abraham and to Israel was never to be permanent. Well, and if that, by the way, you could say if you were a kid, if that dropped out of the sky and you turned it on somehow, it would say no network. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't even the text. Yeah, there's, there's nothing to do. I wouldn't even know what to do. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Oh, and a couple of thoughts came to my head here. Uh, the old covenant was kind of earthly. If you look at when the Bible is speaking about it, it was an earthly thing. It was about this earth. All the Pharisees, Sadducees, they all th thought earthly. They thought he's going to be a real king, the Messiah. He's going to be something on this earth, and the, and the kingdom's going to come of this earth. And so they were always earthly because the, real, the Old Testament is about earthly things. It's about a real temple. It's about a holy of holies. It's about the, the Shekinah or you know, God's presence and all this being among man. But the new covenant is what? Heavenly. That's why I didn't understand Jesus. And when Jesus, uh, we were reading today, you know, he said, old wine doesn't go in new wineskins. It's very hard for people, the, the Jews and Pharisees, to understand. Like this is old. The, the old stuff was trying to fit into a new. It can, if, if you put old in new, it's not good. Like new wine goes into new wine skin. So heavenly, right? So anybody who's talking about this, when they came to Jesus, uh, the rich young ruler, he said, "What must one do to be in the kingdom, whatever?" And he said, uh, "Well, you got to obey the commands." He said, "Which ones?" And he said, "Well, these are the ones that you know." He said, "I've I've done this since my youth. I've." I've done all the commands, by the way, if you look at it, except for coveting. Uh, he did all the commands and Jesus loved him. It says he looked at him and he loved him. And he said, that's good. You know, he didn't say, no, you didn't. I remember when you lied to your parents or you're disrespected. He didn't do any of that. He said he loved him. And he said, but you lack one thing. Go sell all that you all that you have and, and, and give it to the poor. So he said, look, you can do all these things, but you, you're missing the essence of it. And then to the guy who said, what must enter the kingdom? He said two commands. Love God. Love your neighbor. And he's, what did he tell the guy? You are not far from the kingdom. You were so close that those are the two greatest commands. That is the law and the prophets summed up. And so Jesus, it's just, it's encouraging to me because Jesus said, I am the way. That's why I'm getting, I'm going to roll this back into what our thing is. He is the way now. He is the truth. He is the life. Um, he demonstrated that. So anybody else have any more comments before we wrap this part up? And then we'll be wrapping up our time together.
Is it one hour? Well, exactly? we about it. Oh, but, yeah, we go over. <laughs> yeah, we can no, go over the, three uh, seconds. Three seconds only. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the old law was a promise. So you're looking at all these promises, and then you know Jesus comes and fulfills the promise. So obviously things are going to change when the promise is fulfilled. All these things, you know, that that where they were looking forward to, or should have been, because <laughs> I mean I, I know a lot of them at least lost sight of it in some some manner measure. So um, yeah, Jesus comes and now he's fulfilled that. So now we have a different law. We're under him, the law of Christ. So we have to be in service to Christ and what he has commanded. All authority is given to him. Well, we're like under the law of grace compared to the law yeah. of punishment. And exactly. you said something. So one thing I want to ask you guys, because we're still talking about this. Let's let's roll it back to the real question. There are people who teach this, who say you have to follow by the old law. Let's look at that. That heart of this thing. Like, why do you think people are pushing so much for the old law? What is it? What do you think? Well, honestly, it. Oh, well, John, you may. Go ahead. Honestly, I think it. It has to do with a misunderstanding of how law and legislation covenants work in the Bible. Um, like this quarter at the school, I get to teach um, Seventh-day Adventism, and they're really, really hung up on the old law. But they declare that there's a law before the old law. And there, there had to be, in a sense, because we're Adam and Eve, where they had animal skins. And we would say that's where the first sacrifice came from. There were some laws that people had to follow even before the law of Moses. And I'm not sure why in the world, unless if it's simply because we want to hold on to the Ten Commandments, and that's almost the iconic phrase, the Ten Commandments. Um, and it, even if you look in the new law, there's going to be some replays of the old law that's mentioned again in the new law. But you've got to take into consideration, as John said, like within the context, where are you reading? What law are we talking about? Because just because you read the word the law, some people are going to say that's the Ten Commandments, or it could be the the entirety of the old law or the law of Christ. It depends on what the context is. Um, but as to why exactly they, they want to hold on to that, I'm not sure if it's simply because of tradition or just misunderstanding in some manner. Um, but we do also just don't be confused when if we say that we're that some of the laws from the old law have been carried over into the new, what you're really saying is that the old law never passed away, as Marcus had mentioned. If you say that the old law is still binding, then Galatians would tell you, even in chapter 2 as well, along with chapter 5 and verse 4, Christ's death is in vain. It's of no effect. So when the law, a law that is similar to an old law is mentioned again in the new law, that's part of the new covenant that's under Christ. So you've really got to be very cautious, take into consideration where you're reading. And that will ultimately, whenever you're getting the context right, that will determine uh, which covenant the law is falling under. Well, and does it does it come to mind, Jesus, when he said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You strain certain things. You strain like in that. You, you, you put burdens on people that you don't carry yourself. Doesn't it seem like maybe that is the core of this question behind it? The people who push, it's like putting these burdens on people. You have to do every single thing now, every feast. You have to do everything in the Bible, and then you have to do what Jesus did. It almost seems like this may not be coming from God. What do you think? I just don't think that they see that it's a burden because if you if you don't understand how the law works, then you're not going to see how ineffective you're making Christ's sacrifice. Um, I just think that's just they need to be informed. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Some don't accept Christ. So it's kind of, you know, so they don't accept that law, new law because they don't accept Christ. 
right. Marcus. You know, Christ came to, uh, as he was talking about how burdensome the old law is, he came to free us from that burden, from that slavery to the law. And so I think it's really lack of understanding of the Bible um, that people don't understand that you're trying to draw people back into that burden. Uh, I remember, you know, reading in the Bible where uh, people were, the Jews were trying to, they were, uh, you know, prosthesizing among the church and trying to get them to say, hey, you need to start going back to, I believe that's in Galatians, where they were trying to get them to go back to the old law. And Paul wrote to the church of Galatians, said, no, that's not what it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, we we work, Jesus died so that you can get away from the old law, so you won't have to be burdened with all these different rules and stuff, you know. Uh, and it's really sad that people are trying to uh, fearmonger people into, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to fall ten commandments, you can't wear earrings, you can't, you got to make sure you wear that long dress or whatever it is, and you do this, 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 and have this whole list of things. And if you don't do that, you're going to go to hell. And that's just not the God of the New Testament at all. He's a God of grace mercy and truth <laughs> well and, and he uh jesus gave us two commands right love god yeah. with everything love your neighbor as as he would say in in john as as i have loved you that's it those two commands are actually perfect commands the law was just a imperfect command because it just gives specific things people could get around that law by saying well you know i'm going to count it as as, as some, uh, something from my parents if i give it to you guys instead like they were being hacking the law but you cannot hack Love God as yourself, or I love God with everything, and love your neighbor as I've loved you. Can't hack that one. <laughs> yeah, John. Well, I just I want to I guess emphasize that we're not in any way trying to ditch the the Old Testament. It's God's word, and and we certainly don't ever want to make fun of any of the things that God had required of the people of Israel to do under right. that covenant. Yeah. In fact, they, they were glorious, marvelous things as a means of those people coming to understand the glory the mercy, the greatness, the power, the justice of God. And uh, and yet all of those things were designed to point us to God and to point us to the ultimate fulfillment of those things in Jesus Christ in the New Testament era in which they find their most heightened awareness and understanding of God. So to get to, the, I think, the original question you had, I'm wondering about is why did some people do it? Well, I think, number one, because maybe they misunderstand the plan and God's overall scheme of redemption to bring about the ultimate covenant to make the first one old. But the second thing is there is this, I guess, this insatiable desire that we have as human beings to, for the tangible, to, to, to latch on to something. And so the actual celebrating of the feast and so forth, they're going to the, to the temple. Uh, people feel closer to God, maybe in that way, just like when Paul, and this is what I'm going to end up with. And when he's on Mars Hill, remember, in the book of Acts, and he's addressing those religious people who had all these temples and these icons as a tangible form to get close to God. He said, now look, God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, but listen to what he says, but he's not far from any one of us, for it is in him that we live and move and have our very being. For even if your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So what I tell people is, you don't need those tangible physical things anymore that God once allowed through the means of the temple, but rather look around you. God's people, we're his offspring. If you want to get close to God, know the word and know his people, because when we know and see those two things, then wow. I mean, how does God act but through his people today? And so 
I want, I want to get close to him, get to the assembly, get to the church, the tabernacle today, and we will get excited and we'll really see the true living God. Well, to go to your point, John, that's good, man. I love it because we don't ever want to. Yeah, we'll make it clear here. We we love the Old Testament because without the Old Testament, we would not know Jesus. We would not know who he was, that he fulfilled prophecy, that there's a promise lasting thousands of years. Um, so but Timothy, when, when, Paul, when Paul talked to Timothy and said, study the scriptures, what was he talking about? Wasn't talking about Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. <laughs> he was talking about the Old Testament. So, you know, people always read that and go, see, Timothy, you're supposed to study like, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're like, well, not necessarily because he's talking about the scriptures. He's talking about like, they justified me, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, he, he's clearly saying God's word is powerful and it leads us to Jesus. Um, so that's cool, guys. Anything else? Last last closing thoughts by anybody before we wrap up today? I just want to make one more point about the uh, what John had said. The Old Testament was to bring us to Christ. It's important. That's my yeah. only thought. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here we go. That's awesome. Let's go through and just do a closing. Uh, what, this is the last end of the show. What's something you can leave with the people watching that you think um, can be an encouragement, uh, maybe a call to action? So let's start with Marcus. Uh, what's something you want to say is your final closing thing? You put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I just think that uh, you should just continue to deeply study the word and realize that there is only one way. Christ is the only way in his word. You can know it if you study it. You study it deeply. You study it the way it says it is. And, you know, you can't go really go wrong if you study it without someone leading you in the wrong direction. And if you do, uh, not understand something, find somebody, find a, a preacher in the, in the Lord's church, find someone in the church of Christ uh, that can help lead you and help you to study the word of God so that you can know it in a better way so that you can make sure that you're living a life according to God's word. And I want to say this last thing, because I would feel amiss uh, uh, without saying this. If you're not saved, that's something that you truly need to consider. Look at the word of God. God has done so much. He gave his son for us. And all he asks for us is follow me, do what I say, and you will have an eternity in heaven, a place where it's cool inside, no more dying, no more pain, no more suffering. That's a place that I want to be at, and I want everyone else to be there as well. Amen. John, you're next, man. Thank you, Marcus. That's awesome. Well, I just want to say, first of all, um, what a joy it is to be with all of you guys, to know that there are uh, brothers in Christ in different places in the world who have the same desire, the same love for God, who uh, who are, are diligently seeking Him and wanting others to know Him. To you know, uh, we used to have a saying in the church I worked with. It was uh, to know God and to make Him known, and and that is truly my quest. I want to know God. I want to know more about this God that created this world, that loves me, that cares about me, that one day is going to be my judge and uh and my redeemer and my friend and i'm so grateful for that and grateful for you guys who also not only know him but want to make him known to other people and uh that is that is so unique and so powerful about the christian faith in so many ways and so uh just want to say great to be with you guys love y'all and for all you listeners out there get your head into the book you're gonna you're gonna be so enthralled and excited when you really study the book contextually look at it as a whole and to see that it is God speaking to generations of people, a very powerful message of hope. That's awesome. And you've been to ground zero, right? Jerusalem. Yeah. <laughs> so he, yeah. he's been he's been there on this on the scene. Ethan, how about you? Thanks, John. 
Well, I would say about the exact same thing that John said. Uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, it's it's been awesome. I actually I I wanted to actually see y'all in person. Um, I've been to some of John's PTP uh, sessions, and they're fantastic. Uh, but I would hope one day we actually get to meet in person and talk to each other. But thank you for having me on the show. I would say, uh, going along with John's sentiment, I like to read the Bible in in this kind of mindset. If you don't believe there is a God, the Bible is a book about other souls who are pursuing their journey in life. They're looking for truth. They're looking for a way. They're looking for a better life. And the Bible is filled with tons of individuals who have different circumstances that they experience here on life. Now, it may not fit perfectly with where you are in life, but I can guarantee you this. They're always looking for a better outcome. And God always promises, if you want a better outcome in this life and especially in the life to come, don't pass up the Bible. It's the only way that's going to help you. The only book in this world that's going to help you give you life experience as a teenager, a young adult, a middle-aged uh, individual, and a younger elderly person or an older elderly person, you can find tons of wisdom and resources within God's word. And God's not going to mislead you. He'll lead you right exactly where you're trying to go for a better life. Awesome. Yeah. Amen, man. Ben, you're up, man. Thanks, Ethan. All right. <laughs> well, I just want to end with a few verses. Um, obviously, we want to look to Jesus. We want to look to what he's commanded us to do. And I just want to look at uh, Romans 1.16. The gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, Jew first and also the Greek. What is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection? How do you obey that? And Jesus commanded it in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. He says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So we have to go out and we spread the gospel. We spread just what Jesus did. That's what they did in Acts. They said, what shall we do in Acts 2? Men and brethren, what should we do about the sin problem? And he tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. It shows them repenting and be baptized, then God adding them to the church, to the one body of Christ. So that's what we must do. And we must go out there and spread the word, spread the gospel, tell them about Jesus, tell them about what he did for us and how we can live for him and how we can have heaven at home with him for eternity. So that's, yeah. that's uh, what I would... That's so cool, man. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Because 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 the gospel message is that. What that's what Jesus said, right? His last words, mm -hmm. kind of, go make disciples. And you know, you guys don't realize this, but if you were to listen to yourself back, this is your letter that you can write. Those words you said, Ethan. Those words you said, John and Marcus. That's from the heart. You didn't have to think it through. You weren't thinking it through. Trying to, you actually said from your heart. And that, if you watch this again, write that letter too. Write two letters. But um, yeah. So, so, <laughs> I'll I'll uh, I'll close here with um and then I'll ask uh, this time I'll ask uh, John John you can you, you can close the prayer I think uh, Marcus opened it right and my memory's terrible what are we doing again guys no I'm just kidding so uh, to, to close though like if I'm talking to you right now who who are listening I was lost um we might you might realize you're lost you might not realize you're lost lost means that when you think about dying you think that's it. And when you think about that, you're hopeless because there can be no hope in the end of my life if my life ends, no matter how much kids I have and if they have a statue about me. It doesn't matter because in thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years, my life will mean nothing. 
So Jesus, when I learned about Jesus, I, I grew up in the church and, and I finally realized Jesus. I realized he is the son of God. God came. He sent his son, a real person, to this planet. And the proof is in the pudding. The year right now is 2020. 2020 years from when someone decided to say that's where Jesus was. That's when he was a baby. That's when he was born. In the America, in the first world, uh, our year is determined by Jesus' birth. So his impact has been thousands of years. His son came, Jesus, God's son came, he died, and he said, and he rose again to prove he was the son of God, to prove anything. And he said, follow me. And just like a fisherman, like Peter, he said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, of people. And so he gave me a, a purpose in life, which is to say, okay, I, I, you're with me. You're on my side now. We're, we're walking together. But your life isn't selfish anymore. It's not pursuing the things of this world. It's, the things of this world are meaningless. Uh, I, I explained to my kids, when you have one donut, it's awesome. When you have two, it's okay. When you have 50, you want to throw up. So it, this world is meaningless. So there is no meaning in this world. You're watching this. Just ask yourself, what in this life is going to maintain itself to the end of your life? That meaning is going to take you to the end of your life. And it's nothing compared to Jesus who takes us beyond the end of our life. And so I want you to learn about Jesus. I want you to, to read about Jesus uh, because he's a, he's a big deal. And if you don't know him and you're not with him, when he comes back, because he's coming back, because he's alive today, you will not be able to go with him. And that's the guys on this panel, we're all going to be in heaven, Lord willing, together. And even though I can't see John, I can't, I, mean, I can't be with John and Marcus and Ethan and Ben, um, I will be with them in heaven. Amen. So, so uh, that's what I want to leave you with. Um, go ahead and let, let's close the prayer, John. And you guys, please get back to me because I think we should send these letters. Uh, I'm so excited about this new Christian who wants to send letters. I mean, we're, he's fresh out of the gate, guys. He's like going. So we don't want to lose that passion. And encourage those, if you're a preacher, hey, let's encourage our congregations and those that are Christians, Ben, on, on, uh, on your Facebook group. Let's encourage them to write this letter and say, you know what? This is the time we need to do this. So, okay, John, why don't you close in prayer, man? Absolutely. All right, let's pray together. Our Father, our God, the one and true living God, you're holy, holy, holy. God that is everlasting, full of loving, kindness, and mercy, and forgiveness. A God of justice. God of wrath, but a God of eternal love. And God, we praise your holy name. We lift up our hearts, our very lives to you in adoration and in thanksgiving. Thankful, Father, for the privilege and the right that you've even given us to know you, to be in fellowship with you, not just in the here and now, but throughout eternity and that you have given us life and given it more abundantly. Our Father, we praise you for all of these things and so many more, for we know that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And we know, Father, that the greatest gift of all was the gift of your Son. And we are so mindful of that gift, your sacrifice, your exemplary father act of love help us then therefore to live in faith to live in hope and optimism and god we pray that we might be a vessel of sanctification and holiness so that others will see you 
living in us, that they might be drawn closer to you. We pray for those who may, even at this very hour, be searching, looking, wanting to know more of who you are. Help them, Father, to see Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Our God, we pray for the men that we have been able to talk with and together to today. I pray especially for Ethan and for Ben and Marcus and Titus, their families, their ministries, their work, Father, that they're involved in. Bless each of them. Help them to know how thankful we are for the work they're doing in your kingdom. Lord, we love you so very, very much. And we are in debt to you. We owe our very lives to you. And we pledge, Father, ourselves to do the very best we can to be a light in this dark world. Help us to do that. Fill us with strength and glory and hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.